And we start the show with some breaking news. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have agreed to terms with one Deshaun Jackson. Yeah! This was what we wanted. This was the ideal fit. The perfect complement to Mike Evans. The perfect weapon for Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston, who attempted 86 deep balls last year, that was number three in the NFL. Jameis Winston loves to throw the ball downfield. Sometimes with reckless abandon, clearly. Look at the interceptions. 18 interceptions last year was near the top of the NFL, but it doesn't matter. In fantasy, a touchdown's worth four or six. At most, an interception's worth two. We want the yards and the touchdowns, and that's what Jameis Winston will provide. I believe that Jameis Winston will hit 4,500 yards next year and over 30 touchdowns, and he will be a QB1 in fantasy. 86 passes that traveled farther than 20 yards. Top three in the NFL with no deep threat. With Adam Humphreys opposite Jameis Winston. With Cameron Brait at tight end. With Russell Shepard in the slot. Imagine what Jameis Winston could do with Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson's not only one of the fastest wide receivers in the NFL, running a 4-3-5-40, 97th percentile. Yes, that was eight years ago, but he's still one of the fastest wide receivers in the league. If all the wide receivers were lining up and running 40s, you would bet on Deshaun Jackson finishing near the top. But Deshaun Jackson's not just a deep threat. Deshaun Jackson's been the most efficient wide receiver in the NFL over the last three years. He's the only wide receiver to finish in the top five in yards per target each of the last three seasons. Every season, Deshaun Jackson goes over 10 yards per target. That's what efficiency looks like. What is this player giving you on a per-target basis? Yards per target. It is such an elegant and effective efficiency metric. When you throw the ball to Deshaun Jackson, you are getting more out of those targets than almost any other wide receiver in the league. And over the last three years, on average, you're getting the most that any wide receiver could possibly offer on a per-target basis. Deshaun Jackson is giving you the absolute maximum. And now you're pairing him with Jameis Winston, who already has one of the league's best outside X receivers, Mike Evans. You're pairing the most efficient wide receiver with one of the most prolific. Is that's the theme for these recent free agent signings? That they often impact the supporting cast and the players they're leaving behind more than there will be a particular change to their output. I think Deshaun Jackson's still going to be efficient and still going to be at a similar level of production because Kirk Cousins was also unafraid to throw the ball downfield. He goes from one league-leading deep passer to another league-leading deep passer. So I expect Deshaun Jackson to be in that 12 fantasy points per game neighborhood. He'll be a top 40 wide receiver potentially top 30 if he can stay healthy and Jameis Winston indeed does ascend to those heights if Jameis Winston can become a little more efficient a little more accurate with the deep ball then Deshaun Jackson's in the conversation for WR2 in fantasy because Jameis Winston in a high pass volume offense because the Bucks do not have a run game 
Jameis Winston, with his volume, can absolutely support two fantasy viable wide receivers. So the move to Tampa benefits Deshaun Jackson marginally, but the biggest impact is to the players that Deshaun Jackson's presence will impact. And that's my disposition as I consume this free agent news. When Brandon Marshall goes to the Giants, my first instinct is not to forecast Brandon Marshall's output as a member of the Giants, but rather I immediately begin an intellectual exercise thinking about how Brandon Marshall's presence will impact Odell Beckham Jr. It won't. Eli Manning. It will help him, but not significantly. It's not going to reverse the effects of aging on Eli Manning. Eli Manning looked washed last year. He's absolutely on the downslope of his career. And I don't think that the presence of Brandon Marshall is going to reverse Eli Manning's trajectory. He will be an inefficient quarterback yet again in 2017. The biggest impact is going to be to Sterling Shepard. Sterling Shepard goes from number two wide receiver opposite Odell Beckham Jr. to a one-dimensional slot receiver only, who is the third option in the passing game. At best, that's assuming that Will Ty does not break out. So at best, Sterling Shepard, the number three option in the passing game now. So what do Sterling Shepard dynasty owners do? Start the rationalization program! Just start cranking the rationalizations. Yeah, I love Sterling Shepard because... Odell Beckham Jr. and Brandon Marshall are going to command the attention of the defense. That's going to allow Sterling Shepard to soak up incredible volume underneath. He's going to dominate all those slot targets. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Since when are we excited about the number three option in a passing game? Since when? And not the number three option tethered to Jameis Winston, Andrew Luck, Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers high volume and or efficient quarterbacks. No, Eli Manning is not prolific and he's not efficient. So the idea that Eli Manning is going to support three fantasy viable wide receivers is laughable. It's patently absurd. But if you can't rationalize Sterling Shepard's fantasy output, what can you do? Well, you can move the goalposts because I've read on Twitter that Sterling Shepard's going to be fine. Yeah, he's going to be fine. He'll be fine. The New York Giants run more three wide receiver sets than almost any other team in the NFL. Sterling Shepard's going to be on the field a lot. He ran more routes than Odell Beckham Jr. last year. Did you know that, Matt Kelly? God, I didn't know that. Or geez. He ran more routes. That must mean he's better. Routes run. Routes run. Routes run. You know who else ran the most routes on his team last year? Tajay Sharp. How'd that turn out for Tajay Sharp fantasy owners last year? Routes run. He'll be fine. Fine. Sterling Shepard's going to be fine. He's not going to be fine. Because those that drafted Sterling Shepard as one of the first five picks in Dynasty rookie drafts just last season were not expecting a wide receiver that was merely fine, in quotes. They were expecting the 1B to Odell Beckham Jr.'s 1A at the wide receiver position for the New York Giants. And now the New York Giants are telling you Sterling Shepard's never going to be a 1B to Odell Beckham Jr. because we just went out and we got a true 1B to Odell Beckham Jr. His name's Brandon Marshall. We acquired Brandon Marshall because Sterling Shepard's not up to the task. Sterling Shepard's a lot closer to Eli Rogers than he is Odell Beckham Jr. And I'd rather have Eli Rogers than Sterling Shepard this year because as of right now, Eli Rogers is the number two option in the passing game for the Steelers. The Steelers are referring to Martavis Bryant in the past tense. 
So Eli Rogers is tethered to a better quarterback who's both more prolific and more efficient than Eli Manning. And he's the number two option as opposed to being the number three option. So tell me again why I should like Sterling Shepard more than Eli Rogers. The fact that the Sterling Shepard enthusiasts that were so eager to celebrate the occasional Sterling Shepard game last year where he scored a touchdown and became fantasy viable mock me on my YouTube channel. Go to YouTube. Type in Roto Underworld Radio to listen to our highlights and listen to my analysis of Sterling Shepard. I called Sterling Shepard the Shabazz Napier of wide receivers last year because he wasn't a dominant producer during his time at Oklahoma. And when he did come out and finally enter the NFL at a relatively late age, he was much more seasoned than his contemporaries in the same draft class. So, of course, he's going to look like a better route runner. He had a lot more experience. He had a lot more practice running routes. Of course, he's going to look like a better route runner than Corey Coleman. Corey Coleman has much more upside. If you were drafting Sterling Shepard over Corey Coleman last season, you were doing it wrong. Sterling Shepard had a very low ceiling. Can't draft a player like Sterling Shepard in the top five rookie picks if he has such a low ceiling. He projected to be a slot receiver only in the NFL, and not a volume slot receiver, a possession slot receiver. I think the New York Giants now look a lot like the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos have those two dominant outside wide receivers. Demarius Thomas is Brandon Marshall. Emmanuel Sanders is Odell Beckham Jr. Only Odell Beckham Jr. is significantly better and commands even more targets. Who's the number three wide receiver on Denver? Exactly. But this is why I prefer Dynasty Leagues. I like Redraft. I like Daily. I like Dynasty. I participate in all those formats, but I prefer Dynasty. Why? Because Dynasty gives me time to be correct. It took a year for my criticism of Sterling Shepard to finally ring true as the Giants sign a true number two option in Brandon Marshall. A one-season sample is not enough to evaluate a player. Sterling Shepard's seven touchdowns last season will never be replicated. He's not a seven touchdown per season wide receiver. He's a three to four touchdown per season wide receiver. That's how many touchdowns the normal possession slot receivers score on an annual basis. Sterling Shepard's touchdown total last year, based on his profile, was an outlier. And normally I would have to wait an entire year, let his 2017 season play out, in order to finally be redeemed, but the Giants fast-forwarded the process and signed Brandon Marshall. And if you go to our Dynasty Rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings, all along we've had Sterling Shepard lower than consensus because we knew intrinsically that Sterling Shepard is not as good as Willie Sneed, for example. Willie Sneed profiles as a volume slot flanker. He can play on the outside. He can win all over the field. Now, Willie Sneed's not a deep threat. He's not a field stretcher, but he can be a dominant ball winner in the short and intermediate areas of the field, particularly on the outside where Sterling Shepard simply cannot operate. And yet, most dynasty football ranking services rank Sterling Shepard well ahead of Willie Sneed, and they were wrong. But it took time. It took time to be right about Willie Sneed. It took time to be right about Sterling Shepard. And that's why I love Dynasty, because it gives us time to be right. Because Willie Sneed was cut by multiple teams in his first season in the NFL. He could not latch on until he made his way to New Orleans. 
And that's where he was finally given an opportunity to fully show coaches his entire skill set. And now they're talking about letting Brandon Cooks go to another team, trying to get a first round pick for Brandon Cooks. Why do you think the Saints are doing that? Why are they shopping Brandon Cooks? Because they now know what they have in Michael Thomas and Willie Sneed, and they feel Brandon Cooks, because of the presence of Willie Sneed, is expendable. Yet in New York, the Giants felt they needed to add wide receiver talent because they saw Sterling Shepard is not good enough because Willie Sneed is objectively better than Sterling Shepard. Just like Eric Swoop is objectively better than Dwayne Allen. That's why the Indianapolis Colts traded him to the New England Patriots for a late round pick swap. Why did the Indianapolis Colts simply let Dwayne Allen walk? Why? Because Dwayne Allen's the most overrated skill position player on the Indianapolis Colts, and it wasn't even close. And this is a team that has Philip Dorsett on the roster. Now, I recently published an article, playerprofiler.com forward slash articles, 32 breakout candidates for every team. And I know what you're probably thinking. Well, didn't Mike Clay already write that article? Well, yeah, he did. He wrote it on January 4th. Because if anyone's going to be out the door first with an article premise, it's going to be Mike Clay. So my article juxtaposes Clay's selection with my selection. For the Colts, Clay chose Dante Moncrief as his sleeper breakout candidate. Yeah, Dante Moncrief. Who's that? Wow, thanks for pointing him out, Mike. Mike Clay's sleeper breakout candidate for the New Orleans Saints, Michael Thomas. And his breakout candidate for the Dallas Cowboys was Dak Prescott. You can't make this up. But I took more time with it. I let it marinate, let the topic wash over me for weeks. And I ended up writing the article in phases, four players at a time for four teams at a time. And then I recorded a video log, a vlog, explaining my rationale for those four teams and those four breakout players, while at the same time mocking some of Mike Clay's while also celebrating some of his selections, because Mike Clay is one of the best in the industry. The only reason you would compare your selections to another member of the industry's selections is if that person is one of the best, and Mike Clay certainly is one of the best. That's why I chose him as the foil for that exercise. And where do you access those video logs? Those video logs are only available for members of the underworld. And you can join the underworld by supporting this show. Everyone that listens to this show should be supporting the show. Because if you're listening to it right now and you're not a patron of Roto Underworld Radio, then you're a free rider. You're getting the show for free and you're paying nothing. And that's not sustainable. The cliche, there is no such thing as a free lunch, is true. If no one supported the show, the show would go away. So the patrons that we do have are supporting the show for all the free riders out there who have not invested a cent in this show. So you must go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Go to patreon.com and search Podfather and join the Underworld community, support this show to make sure it doesn't go away. Because if we don't get more patrons, we're going to have to stop doing shows. Because free content cannot be delivered forever. And one of the benefits of being a patron is you get access to these Monday shows that I record where I break down the breakout players for four teams at a time. And in the process, criticize members of this industry. Now, I criticize members of this industry on the Mind of Mansion show and the Sonic Truth podcast. But during these patron-only backstage pass shows, we call them the backstage pass shows, we do one a week. And because those are only for patrons, only for true supporters of the show, people that actually care, I can be even more vicious criticizing my peers because 
I know that none of you will go out to social media and snitch. If you've invested in the show, you're not the type of person who is inclined to go try to start a Twitter beef between myself and another fantasy football analyst just for your own pleasure. So there is a mutual trust between myself and the true supporters of the underworld that have joined the community on Patreon. And I can be even more honest, even more vicious, even more outlandish on those backstage pass shows that we publish every Monday. If you like the show, you are obligated to sign up. And if you sign up, not only will you get access to these exclusive shows, you're also going to get either a hoodie or a t-shirt in the process. So I'm investing a lot in you, both resources and trust. And so far, the supporters of this show have earned that investment. So truly appreciative to all of you that support the show. Without you, we couldn't do this. We couldn't talk about Eric Swoop for 10 minutes on a backstage pass show. And then you see Dwayne Allen get traded. And you think, oh my God, Matt Kelly just talked about Eric Swoop for 10 minutes. Now Eric Swoop's in line to be the primary tight end because it's not Jack Doyle. It's not Jack Doyle. It's not Jack Doyle. Jack Doyle's not really a tight end. That would be like calling Kyle Juszczyk a tight end. Kyle Juszczyk's not really a fullback any more than Jack Doyle is a tight end. These are H-backs. Jack Doyle and Kyle Juszczyk line up in the wing position in the backfield. They are hybrid players. I mean, look at the measurables on Jack Doyle. 49140, a 13th percentile height adjusted speed score, a 10.7 college yards per reception. This is the ultimate close to the line of scrimmage marginal weapon. Eric Swoop, on the other hand, has that basketball athleticism that we love from our tight ends. Now, I know it's cliche. Oh, have you heard that Antonio Gates plays basketball? Gee, I didn't know that. Thank you broadcaster for bringing that up reminding me that Antonio Cates plays basketball that's great wow he must be so athletic but it's true the former basketball archetype is a positive signal for tight ends in the NFL Jimmy Graham basketball player Antonio Gates basketball player we have two more basketball players that are starting to emerge Demetrius Harris snap count went up dramatically last year as did Eric Swoops Eric Swoop plus 29.0 target premium last year. So you look at Eric Swoop's production on a per-target basis compared to every other member of the Colts' passing game, he was outproducing them by 29%. His production premium, which measures Eric Swoop's per-target efficiency on any given down and distance in every different game scenario that comes up and, and then juxtapose that against league average, Eric Swoop's production premium, 43.7, was number two in the NFL. Now, small sample size, 22 targets. So that would go down if he gets more volume, naturally. But it's incredibly encouraging that in a small sample size, Eric Swoop was one of the most efficient tight ends in the NFL last season. We talked about Deshaun Jackson and yards per target. Eric Swoop's yards per target, 13.5, number three in the NFL. Eric Swoop just became my number one sleeper tight end. It was going to be Deion Sims, and then... Wah, wah, wah. They signed Julius Thomas. The wet fart transaction of the NFL offseason. So if it can't be Deion Sims, let's go with Eric Swoop. Because if you did play basketball, that meant that you were the big man on campus. The basketball players are the best athletes on university campuses. 
That's why that is a great signal for Eric Swoop. He is an explosive athlete demonstrated by his history leading up to his time in the NFL and then his on-field efficiency metrics all point to Eric Swoop being a red zone weapon for Andrew Luck. We're going to bring on Adam Leviton from Fantasy Labs. He loves the NFL, but he's also an NBA DFS head. We'll talk about football and basketball. Whose athletes are better? More breaking news. Joe Mixon destroyed his pro day. Now, he didn't destroy his pro day. He wasn't Amir Abdullah at the Combine, but Joe Mixon was as good as we could have hoped for, running a 4-4-3? What? 9-foot, 10-inch broad jump, 35-inch vertical, a 4-2-5 shuttle, and a 7-0, three-cone. That's an 11-25 agility score. So Joe Mixon at 225 demonstrated incredible size-adjusted athleticism. Joe Mixon is by far and away the best size-adjusted athlete in this class. But he didn't actually run a 4-4-3. You know that, right? It's a pro day 40 time. That would have been a 4-4-8 at the combine. That's why I never understand the analysis. Well, if he ran a 4-4-3 at the combine, this is what Joe Mixon's speed score would have been. Well, that's like saying, well, what if a UFO landed at the combine? Well, what if Joe Mixon ran the 40 on the moon? Giving me Joe Mixon's speed score if he had run the same 40 time at the combine that he ran at his pro day couldn't be more useless. We know how to adjust pro day 40 times. On average, pro day 40 times are five one hundredths of a second faster than combine 40 times. So that's why on playerprofiler.com, we adjust them. I see so often criticism on our YouTube channel. He actually ran a 4-3-4. No. Times are slower at the NFL scouting combine because they go back to a video replay system to pinpoint when a player's forward inertia began. It's not the electronic timer at the end of the run which makes the combine 40 times slower. It's the fact that they start the clock a bit sooner at the combine because the naked eye cannot perceive precisely when a player's forward inertia begins. That's why there's a delay at the combine between when a player runs and when his official time is posted. D.D. Westbrook ran a 4-3-9, but that's still encouraging. That's what Kenny Stills ran. D.D. Westbrook absolutely needed to go under the 4-4 threshold in order to be a legitimate deep threat in the NFL. Now, does he have Deshaun Jackson's ball skills? Of course not. No one does. But there's now potential for D.D. Westbrook to carve out a role like Kenny Stills has in the NFL. So that's encouraging for D.D. Westbrook. But Joe Mixon's pro day melted my face. So good. I suspected he would be a great size-adjusted athlete. I didn't know he would be that good. I didn't know he would blow away his contemporaries in this draft class. When you look at Joe Mixon's production, and then you look at Joe Mixon's athleticism, it's clear that Joe Mixon is by far and away the best running back in this class in a vacuum. In a vacuum. So if I were an NFL team drafting in the first round, I would consider Joe Mixon. Absolutely. But NFL teams are not going to draft Joe Mixon in the first round. They're going to be drafting Leonard Fournette and Dalvin Cook in the first round. And that would be a mistake. In a vacuum, I have Joe Mixon and Christian McCaffrey ranked ahead of Dalvin Cook and ahead of Leonard Fournette. But I'm not going to be a metrics martyr any longer. I'm not dying for the sins of the scouting industrial complex. 
So that's why in the Roto World rookie mock that's taking place right now, with the third pick overall, I selected Dalvin Cook over Joe Mixon, and I selected Dalvin Cook over Christian McCaffrey. I couldn't have selected Joe Mixon because I selected before Joe Mixon participated in his pro day. So I had no idea what kind of athlete Joe Mixon was going to be. would be way too risky to select him in that situation. The question was, would I select Dalvin Cook or would I select Christian McCaffrey? And I had to select Dalvin Cook because I don't trust NFL teams to appreciate Christian McCaffrey. I don't trust NFL teams to draft Joe Mixon with the expectations that he will be their bell cow in week one of the 2017 season. If an NFL team wants to will Melvin Gordon into being a thing, they are going to will Melvin Gordon into being a thing. And even though Duke Johnson may be a better overall talent at the position, Duke Johnson is going to be relegated to passing down work if he's not drafted in the first round. That could also happen to Christian McCaffrey because Christian McCaffrey's best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Duke Johnson. The other reason I selected Dalvin Cook is because running back is an interdependent position and Fournette and Cook are the only running backs guaranteed to land on teams that expect them to be the primary ball carrier to open the season. You don't know what Christian McCaffrey's role is going to be in week one. We don't know what Joe Mixon's role is going to be in week one. We do know that about Fournette and Cook. And we're about to launch our rookie rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. We have dynasty rankings. We're about to add our rookie rankings. The rookie rankings are going to be our evaluation of the rookies in a vacuum. If we were consulting with an NFL general manager, we would say draft Joe Mixon number one. That's why Joe Mixon will be number one on our rookie running back rankings. But that doesn't mean you draft Joe Mixon over Dalvin Cook and Leonard Fournette in your dynasty rookie draft. That's why you don't draft just based on rankings. You have to think comprehensively. We're not here to run your fantasy team for you. We're here to provide a window into the intrinsic quality of these players. And Joe Mixon is absolutely the highest quality running back in this class. Joe Mixon is the class of the class. Now, let's go ask Adam Leviton. Follow him at Adam Leviton, A-D-A-M-L-E-V-I-T-A-N on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program. Adam Leviton from Fantasy Labs. This is a guy I've been wanting to talk to for years. He's finally on the Roto Underworld program. Adam Leviton, talk to me. I'm a big fan. I think the maybe the first time I actually heard your voice was when you did the Ross Tucker uh, podcast with Evan. And I was like, this dude is shot out of a cannon, man. I don't know what is what is going on here, but I was intrigued. Uh, I love it. I, I love the passion. Like no matter what you're passionate about, you know, like you seem to be really passionate about player evaluation and prospects. And that's not necessarily my passion, but I have a ton of respect for people that have passion about anything. So when you're shot out of a cannon like that, I love it. So I'm I'm, I'm a, uh, thrilled and honored to be here. Well, that show was interesting because I thought I was coming on with Evan and I didn't really know Ross very well. And at the last minute, I found out that Evan couldn't make it. He had a family emergency and it was just me and Ross. Mm hmm. And I was like, well, okay, I don't have a life preserver here. I just have to spar with Ross and see how it goes. And then sure enough, Ross and I got into it a little bit about <laughs> coaching and about schemes. 
and because he was throwing out these cliche analysis traps for me where anyone that knows me knows I'm going to step in these things. I'm going to fight about it. I'm not just going to let someone say this guy's a great scheme fit without pushing the envelope and pushing for a more in-depth response. And then sure enough, it ended up being one of those situations where things escalated a little bit and we got into one of those full-blown pardon the interruption segments on the value of coaching and it was incredible. But mostly yeah. it was just celebrating that class because that rookie class, I believe that was the Tevin Coleman and Todd Gurley and Amari Cooper rookie class, that was actually a impressive rookie class. This rookie class was not impressive at all. And I want to get into some of these rookies with you, but I understand you're not necessarily up to speed on all the rookies or even football in general because... Now that you're at Fantasy Labs, you spend a lot of time with NBA DFS. I had Drew Dinkmeyer on the show a couple months ago. We were mm -hmm. talking about NBA DFS. Tell me briefly what you like about NBA DFS because it seems to be the most fun people can have with Daily Fantasy. Yeah, I think from a projection standpoint, it's so much easier to project NBA results than football results, right? Like guys get tackled at the one-yard line. Guys snap their leg in half. In the first quarter, guys have 80-yard Hail Marys that just tilt an entire slate in football, where in yes. basketball, that just does not happen, right? There's no such thing as these big event plays. There's no such thing as a, you know, 80-yard touchdown that gets you 20 DK points or whatever. This is just a grind. So you guys usually land within their projection. If you're really good at making projections, if you're really good at following the news and adjusting, this guy is out, this guy is going to pick up usage if you know all the rotations, I think your chance of being successful in NBA is just uh, the variance is so much less. Your graph of your profits should kind of be flatter as it goes straight up rather than an NFL where it's often pretty jagged. So that's definitely one thing I like about the NBA. And I just love basketball in general. I think it's the best athletes in the world with all due respect. To football players, I think basketball players are, are pretty clearly the best athletes in the world. Easily. Yeah, LeBron James was All-State as a wide receiver as a sophomore in high school. Mm -hmm. All-State wide receiver as a sophomore in high school. That's very, very rare, particularly in a, a big football state like Ohio, for a sophomore to ever be All-State at any position. And yet, he gave up football before he even graduated high school because he knew basketball is the best sport where the best athletes go. Even on college campuses, the best athletes are the basketball players. And if you flame out in basketball like a Jimmy Graham or an Eric Swoop or Demetrius Harris, your fallback option is football. I don't know of anyone that had an opportunity for an NBA career and said, no thanks, I'm going to collide with other human beings 70 times a day. And your contract won't be guaranteed. Yeah, without any guaranteed contract money. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so you're now at Fantasy Labs, but you also spent some time at Roto World. That's where you gained prominence yes. and you honed your craft. Yes. And Roto World is interesting because the guys we have on the show from Roto World are always super sharp. And they, they fall into these personality archetypes, which then I believe bleed into their blurbs mm -hmm. and you had a, a pretty epic run at roto world and i feel like roto world always has the sassy intellectual analyst among the ranks of the blurb writers and for years it was greg rosenthal 
And then I feel like you carried that torch and then you handed it to Pat Doherty, who is now filling that role. Is it fair for me to put you in an archetype like that or am I way off base? Man, I, I mean, Pat is so much funnier. I mean, he's just so much more like um, way further out there. I, I always feel like I was more into putting numbers into my blurbs and like not making fun of people. I would make some pop culture references sometimes. Like I'll make a lot of wire references. There was a an offensive tackle for the Rams named Barksdale. I even forget his first name. Joe Barksdale, I believe was his name. And I kept calling him D'Angelo and talking about his war with Marlo Stanfield and stuff like that in blurbs. And people like that. Yes. Who wants to read a Joe Barksdale blurb on Rotor World anyway? So I think having some fun with it is good. But no, I would not put myself in the same category as Pat in terms of funny whatsoever. I hope that I was a fraction of as sharp as Greg when it comes to getting numbers and conveying, looking through kind of the BS. By the way, can I curse on here? Is that allowed? Yes, yes. Bullshit. Yes. Yes. I mean, there's so much bullshit in the NFL, all these coaches and people take it and run with it. It's like, you know, rap sheet tweets that. Uh, sources are telling him that Agent Peterson is getting interest from 20 teams. Like, we know that's bullshit. It's just his agent trying to drum up drum up interest. So I like to gut through that and say that in the blurb instead of just being like, yes, this is gospel. Uh, Rap Sheet said that 20 teams are interested in this shitty player. It's not his agent talking. This is actually true. Like, that's insane. So I think getting to the heart of what's actually going on was was something that was important to me. Yeah, I think Doherty is the, the next evolution of the sassy intellectual, and you were really the bridge from Rosenthal to Doherty. If we're really going back in the annals and trying to explain the evolution of Roto World and what it has become. And Fantasyland did a podcast that chronicled the history of Roto World. And on that show, they interviewed Greg Rosenthal, and he talked about an experience where he had to explain to his girlfriend's Japanese parents not merely what fantasy football is, but what fantasy football analysis was. And I think that was the greatest moment in the history of fantasy football podcasts was Greg Rosenthal retelling the experience of trying to explain fantasy football analysis to two people that didn't even know what fantasy football was. Have you had one of those experiences where you had to sit and explain to someone that had no idea really what fantasy football analysis was, explain what you do? So it's a generational thing, right? Like I'm 34 and pretty much everybody younger than me is aware of fantasy football. Everybody has heard of DraftKings at this point. Everybody has... Not everybody, but a lot of people had heard of Roto World. But when we start getting to older generations, right, like my parents, friends basically think that I gamble for a living or I give out advice on gambling for a living. And oh God, and I have to kind of explain that perhaps there are some elements of that. But in general, I am trying to predict what's going to happen in the future in sports. And, you know, that's just like not just with teams, but with players. So that's kind of the route that I go. I have I don't really have any funny stories. People just look at me blankly, but I'm pretty good at, at selling it, right? Like, you got to know who you're talking to. If I'm talking to somebody who just has no clue, I'm like, oh, I'm in predictive analytics, right? Which is obviously bullshit, uh, you know, predictive analytics. There you go, predictive analytics. Yeah, that's some fancy word. But somebody who's 60 years old thinks that's some newfangled career that is very exciting. I'm on the cutting edge. They think that, like, I could be working for Charles Schwab in a cubicle somewhere. It'd be similar to what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I think that you just have to know who you're talking to. But but yeah, I think it's pretty easy to explain, right? We're trying to predict how sports will happen in the future on an individual player basis. 
I can tell you I've done this experiment with two options. First option, I run a fantasy football website. Check the response. Then I run a sports analytics website. Check the response. Very different responses. All you have to do is spin it and use some terminology that's a little fancier and bend away from fantasy football, which does have a stigma in our society. It does, people. I know we're in it, and everyone listening to this show loves fantasy football, but there is a stigma. People think that Adam Leviton is providing gambling advice. That's a stigma, but we are going to rise above it. Fantasy football is evolving and becoming more and more popular and more and more people get it and respect it and we just need to keep on keep on trucking and people like Michael Rappaport are not helping our cause. So less Rappaports and the more Levitons we can have in the industry, the better. Now, I just want to get this out of the way. You're familiar with this thing called the NFL Scouting Combine, even though you haven't really been following football very much during basketball season. But is there anyone that you perceived to have won the Combine just as an outsider, not paying close attention, but from what you've heard or what you observed from the Combine results? Well, uh, let's get right to this running back situation because I didn't follow it closely, but I think the headline coming out was that Fournette and Dalvin Cook, or at least Dalvin Cook, tested poorly, right? Like, that was the big headline, Dalvin Cook. Yeah, do we have a sad trombone sound? I know we have a loser <laughs> game show sound. I've been overusing the loser game show sound. I'm going to go ahead and look for a sad trombone. So if those guys tested poorly and if that causes them to fall, you have to think that the big winner is Joe Mixon. And, and we saw his pro day come off today, ran a 4-4-3, which we can talk about. But Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if those guys are falling, you have to think that the big winner is Joe Mixon, who to me, you know, all, it's all about the off-field stuff. And I've read stuff that it's not just the video, the horrific video that we all saw, that he has had some other off-field issues, blah, blah, blah. We'll see how far down the board that takes him. But if those guys are falling and if Joe Mixon is rising, we could see him as a day two pick. And, and who knows what can happen from there. We're still so far away from the draft. Okay, one little tip for you. You don't want to say off-the-field issue, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> That's never a good idea on my podcast. Oh, off the field issue, blah, blah, blah. We understand, everyone, that it's not okay to hit people, especially for a man to hit a woman. We understand that. No one is excusing the behavior. Of course, it was a despicable act, but we are looking at this purely from an analytical standpoint, and we are trying to quantify the value that Joe Mixon will bring to his NFL team and fantasy teams, particularly in dynasty leagues, for the rest of his career. And if he's going to have measurables strikingly similar to Ezekiel Elliott, he's immediately in the conversation for the number one back in this class. I believe the two best backs in this class are not Dalvin Cook and they're not Leonard Fournette. They were who we were sold as the best backs in this class, but they are not. Mixon's Pro Day and McCaffrey's Combine proved that it is Joe Mixon and Christian McCaffrey. They are the class of the class. And then you have Dalvin Cook and Leonard Fournette below them. It's certainly a big four. There's a significant drop to the fifth running back, whoever that is. But we have a big four at the running back position, and we have a big two at the wide receiver position, Corey Davis and Mike Williams. Now, if you have the seventh pick or eighth pick in a dynasty rookie draft, you're terrified right now. 
because there's absolutely this big six. The hope is that John Ross running a 4-2-2 will thrust him into that top six, and then one of those better players will fall to you at pick seven or pick eight. But if you're not in that zone, if you're at pick nine, 10, 11, 12, my advice, trade those rookie picks because the rest of this class is truly underwhelming. I was hoping for at least a handful of these elite prospects to test exceptionally well, to really blow us away. Last year, we had Corey Coleman and Josh Doxson who had exceptional combines. Corey Coleman showed bursts that we didn't think he had. We knew he was great after the catch. We knew he had great agility. Who knew that Corey Coleman would have a 90th percentile burst score on playerprofiler.com? Not I. Did I think that Josh Doxson would have a 95th percentile catch radius? Hell no. How could I have predicted that? But these were frontline prospects who then exceeded expectations in the combine. And we have this going back through time. Brashad Perriman, Kevin White exceeded expectations in their workouts. You go back another year. David Johnson, Amir Abdullah shocked us with exceptional workout numbers. We didn't have that. We have Christian McCaffrey exceeding expectations at the Combine. Joe Mixon now exceeding expectations in his pro day. But that's about it. All the other frontline prospects missed expectations, were disappointing. And that's why the air has completely leaked out of this class. I mean, I am deflated thinking about this class, mostly because it was sold to be this elite class. And looking at it now, I don't think it's any better than 2016, and it's not 2015 because 2015 had an exceptional running back class. Neither the running back nor the wide receiver class in 2017 could be considered exceptional. Yeah, I I mean... I have I am in a dynasty league and I am not very good in the dynasty league because I don't get into this player evaluation stuff very much. But I did hit the jackpot last year. I tanked all the way and I got Ezekiel Elliott and that immediately turns around the fortunes of my team. Now I'm picking ninth. I'm picking 10th. Am I looking at a tight end here, Matt? I mean, is that what what we've come to? Because I almost refuse to take a tight end in the first with my first round of a rookie draft. I mean, I apologize to O.J. Howard, Bucky Hodges, David Njoku's parents. What I just said only applies to the running back and the wide receiver position because those are the primary positions we care about in fantasy football. The tight end position is exceptional. This could be the best tight end class we've ever seen, even without classifying Ingram as a tight end. You start classifying Ingram as a tight end and not a wide receiver. Oh, my God. Evan Ingram running a 4-4-2. We have David Njoku with a 132.1 96th percentile burst score at age 20. We have O.J. Howard with a 123.9 98th percentile height adjusted speed score. You have Bucky Hodges with upper 95th percentile height adjusted speed score and burst score. All these guys have college dominators above the 50th percentile. This is a pinch me situation at the tight end position. And the reason I'm so excited is because the tight end position has been a barren wasteland. We've had replacement level guys like Cameron Brait thrust into the tight end one group in fantasy and no more. These guys are going to save the position. I'm convinced. Yeah, uh, the position certainly needs saving, right? Like it comes down to if you played Rob Gronkowski a lot on DK in 2015, you lost so much money because he was so expensive because he's priced relative to other tight end performance and he just didn't get there. And then 
Last year, it was like, how cheap can I go at tight end and still have some upside, right? So like Delaney Walker was between 4,500 and 5K. That was fine. Kelsey was between 4,500 and 5K. That was fine. He started to go off. Once you got beyond the 5K, 6K range of these guys, I mean, even Jimmy Graham, uh, who flashed in the middle of the year was bad. We were scraping so hard for anything. Three catches for 40 yards I would have taken Brutal. on DK at tight end. I, I, my concern here, though, is as awesome as prospects of these guys are, we have a historical um, long sample. I, I think I would have to go back and look at all the data, but we have a pr- I believe we have a pretty large sample of tight ends in their rookie year struggling from a pass catching standpoint. Uh, you mentioned Hunter Henry previously as an outlier, as an exception last year. How quickly can this class of tight ends get into the mix as pass catchers? Because that would be a concern for me of being like, I'm going to play a rookie tight end right out of the gate on DK. It's just such a long history of these guys not producing. Well, Hunter Henry produced primarily out of the slot last year, 10 fantasy points a game from a rookie that no one was impressed by. He just happened to be the rookie that got drafted first, but no one was out there thinking, oh, Hunter Henry, this guy's going to change the position. This guy is an exceptional talent. This guy's special. No one was ever thinking. No one, it never tumbled from the lips of a fantasy football analyst, Hunter Henry is special. No one ever spoke those words. But Evan Ingram's special, Njoku's special, Hodges is special, O.J. Howard's special. Evan Ingram could get on the field in a slot role similar to what Hunter Henry was able to achieve last season because he profiles as a proper move tight end. He's a tweener at 235, but that also means that they might not ask him to block at all, just play him in the slot, depends on where he lands, and he could be the guy that outproduces the other tight ends in this class because he won't be asked to do a lot of blocking but I'm still excited I'm allowed to be excited I mean I'm already deflated by the other position just allow me please will you Adam allow me to have some excitement with one position from this class we're not going to get excited about the quarterbacks if you just think about where our expectations were and then where they are now the running back class was a catastrophe. And then we knew going in the wide receiver class wasn't deep anyway. I could argue that no running back, no wide receiver, no tight end, no quarterback deserves to be a first round pick. I mean, it would be a hard sell to convince me that any skill position player in this entire draft class deserves to be taken in the first round. Deshaun Watson's one, Christian McCaffrey's the other. And Corey Davis is the wide receiver I would consider drafting in the first round. But outside of that, I don't see a lot of players that are at a first-round talent level in this class. But I think a lot of running backs are going to get drafted in the first round. McCaffrey, Fournette, and Cook because Ezekiel Elliott paved the way last year. Ezekiel Elliott's success as a fourth overall pick has reinvigorated the running back as a position. I believe the NFL does not view it the same way they viewed it coming into 2016. Now you'll see NFL GMs talking themselves into taking running backs in the first round again. If Ezekiel Elliott had not come out last year, waited a year to come out, we would have Todd Gurley, just another example why you shouldn't be drafting running backs in the first round. But no one's thinking about Todd Gurley as a warning balloon against drafting running backs in the first round. All NFL GMs now are thinking about is how great Ezekiel Elliott looked. He has wallpapered over all the flaws that are inherent in the running back position, and Elliott has paved the way for there to be 
three minimum running backs drafted in the first round. I think McCaffrey, with his exceptional combine, upper percentile agility score, well above average 40 time and burst score, and of course the college dominance and activity in the passing game, I think that he locked up a first round grade from a lot of scouts with his exceptional combine. I'd love to see McCaffrey in Indianapolis. Where's your best case scenario landing spot for Christian McCaffrey? Hold on. I, I'm going to answer that, but I want to I want to go in here as something that you, you've been talking about here. We're talking about talent versus situation, right? Nobody, st- there would still be, no one would still know who Hunter Henry is if Keenan Allen didn't get hurt, if Stevie Johnson didn't go down, if Antonio Gates didn't get hurt, if Melvin Gordon didn't go, out, go down, force them to throw even more, right? Like it's so much about opportunity. And I get somewhat, sometimes frustrated when all we're talking about is talent evaluation when really it doesn't matter, right? If Todd Gurley was on Dallas, he would be smashing. I mean, Todd Todd Gurley would have 22,000 yards easily, right? On Dallas. That's right. That's right. So why are we so hung up on talent evaluation, right? Like when all that matters is where these guys land and what their situation is, you know, like from And from a dynasty perspective, I totally get it. I'm looking to get the most talented guys. From a redraft perspective, I want some talented guys, but I'm also interested in opportunity. From a DFS perspective, I am almost exclusively interested in the opportunity. Well, I have two responses to that. Number one, we have to do shows in March. So here we are, Adam. <laughs> We need to produce content for the audience. The audience loves playerprofiler.com. They love Roto Underworld Radio. They love Adam Leviton. So we're here producing content for the people. That's number one. Number two, I understand that Ezekiel Elliott's production was largely opportunity-driven because the running back position is largely opportunity-driven and situation-dependent. I don't believe NFL GMs realize this. I don't believe scouts realize this because the scouting reports and the buzz you're hearing from the industry about Ezekiel Elliott and now the draft grade you're seeing on Leonard Fournette being mocked in the top 10 picks overall. Overall! You could argue Leonard Fournette's not a top five running back. He's getting mocked in the top 10 overall selections. Why is that? Because of Ezekiel Elliott being the right guy in the right situation at the right time last year. Because last year, Derrick Henry, who by every measure is a better prospect than Leonard Fournette, was pushed to the end of the second round. Derrick Henry comes out this year, he's a first round pick. How low in terms of talent do we have to go where guys would smash in Dallas? Like Derrick Henry for sure smash. Kenneth Dixon I don't know how you feel about him. I think he probably would have smashed. Like, do would Paul Perkins and Wendell Smallwood, can we go that low and say they still would have succeeded in Dallas? Because that's kind of the interesting question to me that I think NFL GMs should be asking themselves. It's replacement yes. replacement value. If you can get Wendell Smallwood in the fourth round, Paul Perkins in the fifth round or wherever he went, do you need to use a top 10 pick on Leonard Fournette? It depends on the skill set. I think that because there are such wide running lanes in Dallas, what you want is a player with great straight line speed who can exploit these Mm -hmm. holes and get the most out of them. And that's what Ezekiel Elliott had. Remember, Ezekiel Elliott did not run the agility drills at all. He was smart. I suspect he didn't run the agility drills because he knew he wasn't going to do particularly well in the three-cone drill or the 20-yard shuttle. I think Dalvin Cook should have taken a page out of Ezekiel Elliott's Mm. draft program and not run the agility drills. Leonard Fournette did. Leonard Fournette's smart. He said, hell no. 
I'm not running a three-cone drill. Get the hell out of here. Do you know I'm a 240-pound man? You think I'm going to run a great shuttle? You out of your mind? I'm just not going to run. You can use your imagination. Go to the tape, baby. I got great <laughs> tape. Go to my tape. You want to see my agility. That's what Dalvin Cook should have done. Dalvin Cook participating in all those drills, that was a sucker move. He should have gone out on the practice field with his trainer, gone through all these drills, figured out what their time was probably going to be, and then decide if it made sense to run at the combine or not. And if it's not going to help you, don't do it. But yeah. he did it, and it's going to hurt his draft stock. I think he's going to go from a mid-first rounder to a late-first rounder because of that. Now, in terms of where is the line of demarcation where a replacement-level running back would give you almost but not quite Ezekiel Elliott-level production running in that Dallas Cowboys system, I think it, if you take a player that looks like a Latavius Murray a big explosive back, Lamar Miller. I think those running backs would have given you close to, but not equal to Ezekiel Elliott level production. But if you give me a smaller back, that's not as fast, someone like Paul Perkins, I do not think that the production is equivalent. I want to answer your Christian McCaffrey question because I think it's an interesting one, right? Like if you really click on, finally answer my question. Yes. yes. Have I answered all of your questions now? <laughs> Are you satiated? I have a lot more, but yeah, I want to talk about McCaffrey because I think it's interesting, right? If you clicked on a hundred mocks right now, just random mocks around the internet, how many of them have him mocked to New England, right? Like, and there's some, I'm sure, like racial factor there. They love white guys. Christian McCaffrey's white. Everybody's like, he's a perfect fit for New England. Um, I think that's ridiculous, but whatever. Anyways, he's so not a fit for New England who already has Dion Lewis. Right, exactly. Like, it makes no sense. But anyways, uh, I like the Indianapolis call. I'm going to say here in Philadelphia, and I live in Philadelphia, and, and I think that Christian McCaffrey could be a sneaky fit here because I'm not sure where the Eagles go for wide receivers. Like, it's barren out there. Maybe they sign uh, Torrey Smith. Maybe they make some bad deal with Kenny Stills or something like that. But they just have no weapons whatsoever for Carson Wentz, and it really hurt him last year. I mean, he was throwing to Nelson Aguilar, who could not play, lost confidence to the point where they had to bench him. Doriel Green-Beckham, who looked like he was complete. I'm, I still have some faith in Doriel, Beckham, Doriel Green-Beckham finding himself, but— You do? I think so. You're, you're completely dead on him? No, I do too. I think yeah. you need to give a guy three years to prove himself— and Doriel Green-Beckham has enough rare physical traits yes. going for him that you must give him a third year to prove that he can play in the NFL or not because he gets himself in great position to make plays and he just doesn't secure the football in traffic, doesn't secure the football in contested situations, though he did the year prior in Tennessee where he led the league in contested catch rate on playerprofiler.com. So mm -hmm. I'm interested to see what Doyle Green Beckham can do this year. However, Nelson Aguilar was never special. Right. He was never special at USC, and two years of failed play to go along with a prospect profile that was overrated from the beginning, I'm much more willing to just dismiss Nelson Aguilar at this point but not Doro Green Beckham. I need to see one more season before I finally put a tag on his toe and send him off to the morgue. Yeah, totally agree. And also we have Darren Sproles turning 34 in June. So I, I think Christian McCaffrey could, could help Carson Wentz a lot. And to me, that's what the Eagles need. They need something for Carson Wentz. He played, uh, started as a rookie, played with backup offensive linemen, um, played with arguably the worst wide receiver core in the league with all due respect to the 49ers. So I think that Christian McCaffrey could fit in Philly, but let me hear your indie take. Why? Why indie for 
Christian McCaffrey. Yours is clearly a homer take. You like the Eagles, and you want to <laughs> see them get the best running back available in the draft. I understand that you want him to go to the Eagles, but going to the Eagles, who already have Darren Sproles on the roster, would be a death sentence for Christian McCaffrey's fantasy value. He'd be a redundant asset on a team that has one of the least efficient offenses in the league. That's not what I'm interested in for Christian McCaffrey. What I'm interested in is spinning forward best-case scenario for the players I like. That's the game I like to play, Adam. Mm -hmm. I like to say, hey, I like you. Let me construct the perfect situation to maximize your skills and to make you an RB1 in fantasy, and that's Indianapolis. What's the problem that Indianapolis has? The biggest problem they have, protecting Andrew Luck. And the best thing that you can do outside of drafting an elite left tackle to protect your quarterback is to provide him with an exceptional satellite back, a hot read that he can dump the ball off to and not take some of those huge hits when linebackers are blitzing up the middle. Christian McCaffrey, with his agility and his pass-catching ability, is perfectly suited to be that auxiliary receiver that he checks down to Whenever he feels pressure, knowing that Christian McCaffrey will then get the ball and get the most out of it, get your first downs, and matriculate the ball downfield, Frank Gore is 34 years old. I don't see why he's not going to be healthy again. He's had a number of 16-game seasons on his game log. Looking back through time, there's no reason to think that he's going to get injured. He's just slowing down. He's less and less efficient, and I think that this is the year they move to a full-blown split where they have a proper grinder on first down, but on third down, two-minute drill, hurry-up offense, they have the satellite back in there, and they end up splitting the touches down the middle. I think that would make sense if you hand the ball to Frank Gore on second and five, and then you have Christian McCaffrey in there on third and ten. Were you concerned at all that Christian McCaffrey benched ten times, not because it will affect his performance on the field, but... Like when you can only do 225 10 times and it is your job to be in the weight room, it is your job to be strong and athletic. Like I just did a bench press competition, a bench press bet with Bales and Peter and Bales can do 225 like over 20 times and he's not anywhere close to the NFL. Like I thought it showed a lack of preparation. Not that I would ding Christian McCaffrey on my on my draft board. I don't think it'll affect his NFL career. To me, it was just a lack of preparation. How can you not do 225 more than 10 times? I'm not a personal trainer. <laughs> I don't know what Christian McCaffrey could have done to add upper body strength. My co-host of the Sonic Truth podcast, Nate List, feels the same way, that this was a fail on Christian McCaffrey's part, that he should have been more prepared, that he should have been in the gym every day for eight hours a day preparing for the combine. I don't know. All I know is this guy runs for 2,000 yards. This guy catches the ball 50 times a year. This guy is exceptionally efficient, and this guy is an incredible athlete in every phase with the exception of upper body strength. And if you're going to give a player, a skill position player in particular, one weakness, it might as well be upper body strength. Sure. Yeah, I don't think it. And there's data out there that shows that it doesn't bench press doesn't really correlate whatsoever with NFL um, success. So I wouldn't be concerned there either. So let's talk about some free agents. Okay. The chatter right now, the loudest chatter right now, the Bears are pursuing Mike Glennon. That's what sports radio is talking about. And this feels very similar to the Texans' pursuit of Brock Osweiler last year. What do you think of the possibility 
that the Chicago Bears could be featuring Mike Glennon at quarterback next year. He's the guy. <laughs> I mean, look, people get hung up on the money thing, right? Like a starting quarterback, if you're going to sign somebody to be your starting quarterback, he's going to get $15 million a year. I'm not that worried about the money. I'm more concerned that the Bears have done their talent evaluations and believe that this is the guy they want to be their starter. Um, I am a believer that preseason football means more than people think. I think that we have seen guys perform exceptionally well in the preseason and carry that over. And maybe that doesn't mean as much, but when a guy can't do anything really well in the preseason, that's a red flag for me. Mike Glennon has been unimpressive in the preseason, getting outplayed by the likes of, oh, I don't know, Colt McCoy um, and even Brock Osweiler when, when he was on uh, Denver in the preseason. So, I, I mean, I'd be concerned for sure as a Bears fan, um, not to mention that Mike Glennon looks like in kind of 12-year-old boy getting ready for his bar mitzvah. So that would be a concern to me as well, Matt. What's interesting about Mike Glennon, even though he looks young, he looks like a baby giraffe, <laughs> His breakout age at NC State was late, 21.7, 24th percentile. So he didn't achieve a college QBR above 50 until age 21. And then his QBR at NC State maxed out at 54.9. Let me put this in perspective. A 54.9 college QBR is 5th percentile. There are no quarterbacks in the NFL other than Brian Hoyer with a college QBR as bad as Mike Glennon. Now, when I add the college QBR to his throw velocity at the NFL Scouting Combine, he threw the ball 49 miles per hour. Now, that's the worst we've ever recorded. And his wonderlick is below 30, which is 33rd percentile. So let me get this straight. You were not in any way efficient in college. You have zero arm strength, and you're not a high intelligence player. What the hell are you doing in the NFL? And beyond that, what the hell are you doing signing a big free agent contract? What is the world coming to? And they're going to let Alshon Jeffrey go, right? So yeah. it's like you're you're going to you're, you're going to you're going to sign it's awful. <laughs> you're going to sign this kid and then you're going to be like, "Let's go." And I know you like Cam Meredith and I do yes, too. Yes, I own Cam Meredith and this is where this is all headed. Yes, you've already figured <laughs> out where my biases are. Why I am so despondent about this move because Matt Barkley is clearly by every objective measure both on-field production and efficiency and all the prospect-related metrics that we look at, a better quarterback, a more yeah. quality player than Mike Glennon. And th so this is going to make me suffer because I own Cameron Meredith in every dynasty league. <laughs> I thought that uh, Matt Barkley, actually from a fantasy perspective, perhaps not a real-life perspective, but from a fantasy perspective was valuable last year for the Bears receiving core. Not bad. Yeah. Not, not bad. bad. He didn't look bad. Yeah. That's not bad to not look bad. I'd much rather not look bad than look bad. <laughs> Mike Glennon looks bad. He's always looked bad because he's bad. I'm not so sure that Matt Barkley's bad. I know he throws a lot of interceptions, but so right. did Jay Cutler. At least give him a chance. What are you doing, Chicago? What are you doing? The worst thing that you can do we had jason fitzgerald from over the cap on the show last week the worst thing that you can do is to overpay a quarterback because that not only cripples your cap space because quarterbacks are so expensive it also puts you in a quarterback purgatory that will take years to solve the brock osweiler mistake was franchise crippling 
this mm-hmm. Mike Glennon soon to be mistake will be franchise crippling. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I mean, what, what, what would your ideal path be for the bears to take? Just ride Barkley. Yeah. That would be mine too. They have one of the best run blocking offensive lines in football skew to the run draft McCaffrey and go to a, a high efficiency offense where you're minimizing Matt Barkley's mistakes by focusing on short throws and leveraging the running back in the passing game and then hand the ball off a lot to Jordan Howard and invest in the defense. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't work and you suffer with a bunch of injuries and the players you draft on the defensive side of the ball don't work out, then you have the worst season in the NFL and then you draft a quarterback in the first five picks the following year. It will work itself out if you just stick with Barkley. Things will work themselves out. Who knows? Barkley could exceed expectations and the defense exceeds expectations and you make the playoffs. It's win-win if you stay with Barkley. It's lose-lose if you sign McGlennon. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that NFL teams could take from the NBA. Like, you can't be in mediocrity, right? That's the worst place to be in the NBA. You just can't be in the middle all the time. And I think for the NFL, there's some sense that that mediocrity is okay. If we go 9-7 and and have a shot at the playoffs, that's okay when it really shouldn't be. You know, it should be like we're going to be – uh, we're going to take our lumps here, but we are going to rebuild. The Bears and a lot of other teams in the NFL, to be honest, have no plan whether they're rebuilding or going for it. Like, which one are you doing? Are you going for it or are you rebuilding? And I think it's pretty clear the Bears should be in rebuild mode. And Barkley, I played Barkley in the highest stakes uh, tournament on DK all year. Yeah. And he threw for like 350 yards and three touchdowns for me. It was unbelievable. He was great yeah. in fantasy. In fantasy. Yes. A lot of interceptions in fairness, but in fantasy, he was great. I equate it to the Lord of the Rings. So getting to the top of Mount Doom and throwing the ring in the fire, you'd say Frodo had about a 1-32 in chance of succeeding. You had Gollum following him. You had giant spiders. You had the Wervins. Are they Wervins, the flying things? Come on. I, you know I don't, I don't watch this stuff. Yeah, the flying dragon bird Wervins things. A lot of potential challenges along the way that could derail Frodo, but he made it. I think that was a 1-32 in chance. What do you not do? What's the easiest way to not make it to Mount Doom? Well, you don't prepare the right people and the right supplies for the quest. It's like any adventure game. You're going to die in the video game if you don't start the quest on a high enough level with the right supplies, with the right amount of potions, and the right amount of weapons, and members of your quest. You need to have archers, you need to have wizards, you need to have warriors, you need to have people that are going to help you along the way. If you just on level one set out for Mount Doom, of course you're going to (laughs) die! That's what these teams that are opting into with eyes wide open, just walking out into quarterback purgatory, completely unprepared to win. It's bizarre that you would start this quest with Mike Glennon and no Gandalf and no Aragorn (laughs) and no Legolas. That's what the Bears are doing if they sign Mike Glennon. A failed Mount Doom adventure. They are going to die in the first week. I agree. I love that analogy, though, to be honest with you. You should you should call the Bears and try to get a job with that analogy. It'd be a creative uh, resume. You need to stockpile assets before you start your quest. That's what they do in the NBA. They have to stockpile right. assets. 
the Bucks have been stockpiling assets, Parker, Antetokounmpo, for years mm-hmm. before they would ever consider signing a free agent and making a run. Yes. That's how you do it. Yes. There's no difference in the NFL, but you can't tell that to those running the Houston Texans, those running the Chicago Bears. That's how bad franchises stay bad, because they're making these moves out of Mm self-preservation. The leadership in Houston felt obligated to go sign Brock Osweiler because they had to do something to preserve their jobs. Mm -hmm. The front office and the coaching staff in Chicago feel like they have to do something to save their jobs. So individuals that are temporary are damaging the franchise for years, years that will pass. And those player personnel individuals and coaches will be long gone. But the damage they did to try to preserve their own roles and jobs will echo for many years after they're gone. And I think a mistake, if you're going to make a mistake, especially the quarterback position, make it cheap, right? Like make a mistake cheap. Take a lot of shots. Take a lot of um, get a lot of pulls at the roulette wheel at the slot machine. Um, You know, we saw Russell Wilson um, go in the fourth round. We saw Kirk Cousins. We see all these things just take shots. And yeah, a lot of those quarterbacks that you take in the third, fourth, fifth round are never going to work out. There's a very, very low probability that any of those guys work out. But take some cheap shots. Take a cheap shot on Matt Barkley. Just take cheap shots. Don't take expensive shots. And I think that's what you're talking about. I mean, taking expensive shots at the quarterback situation can really, really hurt you. You could trade for A.J. McCarron. There are so many better moves in the arsenal. Much better options. The worst option, by far and away, signing Mike Glennon. McGlennon. (laughs) I was just going to say, if if you imagine you're Mike Glennon, you wake up one day and you're like, they're going to give me $15 million. It's like, I feel bad for the kid. Everybody's killing him, but it sounds pretty sweet to me. They're telling me all I need to do is take this ring to a mountain and throw it in a volcano. Sounds easy enough. I should be fine. (laughs) With no help, I should be fine. Now, the Giants feel like they are in win-now mode. The Giants have plenty of pieces. They have some cornerbacks that exceeded expectations last year, Janoris Jenkins. They have a pass rush. They have one of the best receivers in the league in Odell Beckham Jr., and they have a quarterback whose clock is ticking. So there it makes perfect sense for the New York Giants to go out and get Brandon Marshall. Did you see this transaction? I saw the transaction, obviously. I I think that, first of all, Brandon Marshall is 33 years old. Can he still play? I think that's kind of the first question. And if you just looked at the box score from last year, the answer would be no. However, there is a lot of data out there. Catchable targets were really, really low. Quarterback play was obviously among league worst levels. I think he battled a lot of nagging injuries. And part of that comes with being a 33-year-old wide receiver in the league. You do battle nagging injuries. However, as a number two and no longer a number one, I mean, it seems to me that this makes a lot of sense for the Giants, especially in the red zone where I think Odell Beckham, um, a lot of his touchdowns have come on these short slants that turn into huge plays. Brandon Marshall can be a fade guy in the red zone for them and just not ask him to do that much. Go up against number two cornerbacks, see one-on-one coverage. Um, So from where I'm looking, I could not have found a much better landing spot for Brandon Marshall. Obviously, this is a total tank to Sterling Shepard, but I'm not sure it hurts Odell too, too much. I mean, yeah, Odell was smashing anyways, but, you know, he's going to see less coverage, I think. So I don't know. To me, it's a win-win all around. I assume that Brandon Marshall is known for keeping himself in shape. I assume he's going to be able to sustain health a little bit better here, a little bit motivated on a better team with better quarterback play. 
what I like is to optimize the skill set of the roster. Mm -hmm. So I like a roster that has a proper number one wide receiver, one of those prototypical stud X receivers, big playmaker, contested catch, conversion, stud. That's Brandon Marshall. That's why I want Kenny Britt to go to the Seattle Seahawks because they're missing that piece. Like in the with the New York Giants now, they have that piece. They have that big receiver that they can deploy on intermediate routes and secure first downs and can throw to in the red zone. It's ideal. They didn't have any big receivers. All the receivers were under six feet tall. How can you win in the NFL if all your receivers are under six feet tall? Well, the Patriots, but that's another story. Most teams aren't the Patriots, and I like an optimized wide receiver core, and that's what we have now with the Giants, with Marshall, Beckham, and you can slide Sterling Shepard into the slot. In Seattle, I would love to see Kenny Britt as their X receiver. You have Doug Baldwin as the slot receiver, and you have either Paul Richardson or Tyler Lockett as their stretch X players. You have a, a, a player stretching the field. You have a player winning in intermediate routes and another player winning in the short routes. That's ideal to me. Then you have Jimmy Graham running up the seam. That's how you optimize the talent configuration of a receiving core. And I believe that's what the Giants have just done, adding Brandon Marshall. Now, when you yeah. spin it forward and you start to th think about what are the redraft fantasy value implications of this trade well this is great for brandon marshall's value i think brandon marshall's value goes up because at least he goes to a team that's going to skew pass heavy you didn't want brandon marshall going to a run heavy team you didn't want him going to the buffalo bills you didn't want him going to worst case scenario team with a bad quarterback like la rams so you wanted brandon marshall to go to a team that has at least a competent quarterback that throws the ball a lot. So that's thumbs up for Brandon Marshall owners, especially in Dynasty, trying to squeeze that one more WR2 season out of that asset at 33 years old. This was best case scenario for the Dynasty owners of Brandon Marshall. Odell Beckham Jr. owners aren't going to feel this either because Odell Beckham Jr.'s target share isn't going anywhere. It's like Antonio Brown's target share or Julio Jones's target share. It doesn't matter who they add in free agency. The big dog going to eat. And the big dog is Odell Beckham Jr. Now, through process of elimination, what does that mean? That means that the player that's going to suffer is Sterling Shepard. He is now relegated to slot duties only, and he's now the third option on the target totem pole. I believe that this eviscerated Sterling Shepard's redraft and significantly impacted his dynasty value. Going into 2017, I'd rather have someone like Eli Rogers. Mm. And I couldn't imagine thinking that six months ago. Mm. Wow. So what do you, well, first of all, let me say from a redraft slash DFS perspective, I think being able to project game plans is important. And, and we've seen the Giants have this game plan where they try to run, they try to run Andre Williams into guys' butts. They try to squeeze more out of Rashad Jennings. They try to force Paul Perkins in there for 10 to 15 carries. And it just hasn't worked. I think that if we can, project them to be like, listen, we are going to be extremely pass heavy. We are going to put this on the shoulders of Eli. There's a ton of value in just knowing what teams are going to do on a game-to-game -game basis, especially in DFS. So I, I like that too. I think this signing points more towards that for sure. Um, the Eli Rogers thing is interesting. I feel like Eli Rogers had a lot of opportunity this year, right? Sammy Coates literally broke like hands, did not work, broke fingers, blah, blah, blah. Martavis Bryant 
suspended, etc. Well, you could argue that Sammy Coates' hands didn't work before they were broken. Exactly. So, so, but could we have found a better situation than this past season for Eli Rogers to accrue fantasy stats? Like, I'm not sure it's going to get better for him going forward, his opportunity. Right. That's why I compared the two, because I think that what we saw last year from Sterling Shepard was best case scenario, because Victor Cruz was not providing real competition for targets in that passing game. Victor Cruz was washed. So he was the de facto number two option in the passing game. They didn't have a great satellite back. They didn't have a great tight end. It was Sterling Shepard. And he went out and posted eight touchdowns. When your slot receiver posts eight touchdowns, that's not something that you can rely upon year to year. That's an outlier. He's never going to replicate eight touchdowns. Sterling Shepard is absolutely a one-dimensional slot receiver, and he's not one of these Doug Baldwin elite target hog slot flanker players. I think he, like Eli Rogers, is best deployed underneath out of the slot, and there will be seasons in which he doesn't catch more than two or three touchdowns. And now, especially in 2017, where he's the clear number three option with a quarterback who's in decline, I would try to sell Sterling Shepard at a low point. We talk about buy high, sell low instead of buy low, sell high on this show. Sterling Shepard is a sell low candidate. There are going to be people out there who are still viewing Sterling Shepard through that 2016 draft evaluation lens where he was the best route runner in the entire country coming out of Oklahoma. Get Sterling Shepard on your fantasy team. He paired with Odell Beckham Jr. are going to be a dynamic duo for years to come. Sterling Shepard's the guy you want to own in Dynasty. And he became a top five Dynasty rookie draft pick last year because of this exuberance over a slot receiver. People love the situation. And they loved his college film. There will be someone in your league that feels that way about Sterling Shepard, that believes Sterling Shepard is a long-term asset that they can invest in, even though his 2017 stats might underwhelm. I believe you can still get something significant by trading Sterling Shepard now. Do not wait until October and you're looking at a player who's outside the top 50 fantasy wide receivers that nobody wants. And we also have a situation where you said Eli Manning is in decline. I mean, he'll be 37 years old, I believe, uh, before long. And they have no like prospect, no backup plan that I'm aware of for a successor to Eli Manning. So it could get hairy there, too. You should have sold Sterling Shepard already. You should have looked at those eight touchdowns from last year and said, given his prospect profile and given Eli Manning's advanced age and declining efficiency, I'm getting rid of this guy now before he regresses. I'm selling the eight touchdowns. You didn't do it. You chose to ride Sterling Shepard, and you fucked up. (laughs) So now you have to eat it, Sterling Shepard dynasty owners. You're over Sterling Shepard, aren't you? I mean, I was never really on him in the first place, and somewhat to my detriment, he did score eight touchdowns, but I was never really on him in the first place. It's not like you could have predicted what he was going to do on a week-to-week basis in DFS anyway. Yeah, exactly. Sterling Shepard, get out of here. So looking at the free agent running backs... Interesting dichotomy. Adrian Peterson, Jamal Charles, who you got? Stop. Stop. This is like the worst possible question for me. I was uh, very outspoken last year that I would not take Jamal Charles. I would not take Adrian Peterson. I mean, these guys are just so old. We had Jamal Charles coming off of a second ACL tear at almost 30 years old 
on a team that already spent invested money in Spencer Ware, invested money in Charkandrick West. I mean, it was so obvious to me that Jamal Charles, even if he was able to sustain health, wasn't going to be a, worth a second round redraft pick. I even saw him go in the first round. So now that these guys are a year older, I mean, nobody wants Adrian Peterson. Nobody wants old running backs in general. Like even the most novice of fantasy football players sees Frank Gore as the outlier, sees the the simple graph plot of age versus production with running backs. And it's just so obvious. So to me, I, I would pass on on both these guys if I was an NFL um, GM. Adrian Peterson reminds me a lot of Steven Jackson. And at this point in his career, Steven Jackson was on the Patriots. And I think we remember how Steven Jackson on the Patriots looked. That's how Adrian Peterson is going to look this year if he lands on any team at all. If he even makes it to week one without getting cut. I wouldn't be surprised if Adrian Peterson signs with a team and then is cut during the preseason because they're like, dude, you're done. It's fine. It's fine. You're a Hall of Famer and you were you had a great career and congratulations. I mean, good for you. You did a good job, but you can't play anymore. You've logged well over 2000 carries. You're in your early 30s now and you're one of these between the tackles grinders that seeks out contact and has taken an inordinate number of huge hits during your career and in the last few years you've been nothing but injured it makes sense that you would be washed now that is logical so bye bye have a good day we have a fruit basket for you just hand me your clipboard on your way out I don't think that I don't feel bad for him whatsoever I mean not only with the situation the off-field situation which I thought was just off-field situation, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I mean, it's terrible. And, you know, like, he doesn't seem like a, like, I don't know, it doesn't strike me as, like, a humble dude who gets it. So I don't feel bad whatsoever that he thinks he can still play and the NFL thinks he can't. Right? Right? I felt terrible for Arian Foster because Arian yeah. Foster struck me as a good person. Sure. Someone who deserved to have good things happen to him in his career. Adrian Peterson, I do not feel that way about at all. I do feel that way about Jamal Charles. I think Jamal Charles still has some juice left because he hasn't withstood the same amount of punishment, not even close, of Adrian Peterson. Much fewer touches in his career, and I think that it's possible that at age 30, he could still execute explosive plays in the passing game. So I'm excited to see where Jamal Charles goes. Like with Christian McCaffrey, I think he'd be a nice fit in Indianapolis. I think he'd be a nice fit in any of these high-volume, efficient passing games, whether it be the Colts or the Saints. So I am encouraged for Jamal Charles this year. I want him to do well. I wish him well, but I'm not convinced that either one of them will be fantasy relevant this year. Sadly, we also have a lot of these new running backs coming in. Christian McCaffrey needs to get touches. Joe Mixon's going to need to get touches. A lot of these running backs need to get touches, and it's going to be at the expense of the old guard, the Jamal Charles, the Adrian Petersons, and the Matt Fortes. I also think it'll be at the expense of Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray does not strike me as a workhorse back that you can trust. I think on a team like the Dallas Cowboys, he can have success with wide running lanes and lots of red zone carries. But otherwise, most situations that Latavius Murray could land in, I don't think he's going to produce. Yeah, so I thought it was a red flag on Latavius Murray last year where he's running behind the arguably the second best offensive line in the league and he is producing somewhat on terms of a raw numbers basis. But then just out of nowhere, they're like, you know what, we're going to start giving Jalen Richard and DeAndre Washington 
you know, 40% of the workload, you're only going to get 60%. Then it went to 50-50. And then all of a sudden, Latavius Murray was only playing like 30% of the snaps, which I thought was a pretty big red flag considering um, Jalen Richard was undrafted or seventh rounder, I believe. And DeAndre Washington is, I think a lot of people had him pegged as more of a pass down back. So to me, it was it was a red flag that his own team with a really good offensive line did not even have enough faith in him to be like, you're our guy. We're going to ride with you. So it's a pretty big flag, red flag, anytime a running back gets to free agency, um, but especially so in this case, I think. I agree. 2015, Latavius Murray opportunity share, his percentage of running back touches Mm -hmm. 69.7%. He was a workhorse. He was the bell cow. In 2016, it dropped all the way down to 52.8%. That's a 15% decline before heading out into free agency. Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) so looking at some running backs that i actually have faith in that i believe could be great incredible athletic specimens that have been snake bitten in their career Jarek mckinnon Mm -hmm. and amir abdullah Mm -hmm. which one of these running backs do you think could ascend this coming year yeah for me it's amir abdullah i mean i know Jarek mckinnon was running behind one of the worst offensive lines in the league had oh the worst the worst yeah worse the worst than Seattle's offensive line that was starting guys that had never played offensive line before. <laughs> That's true. And Minnesota lost like six tackles. Like every day I wake up and like, oh, Minnesota lost another tackle today. Let's see who they do, what they do now. Bye-bye. But yeah, I mean, I still think that Jerick McKinnon has had more opportunity than Amir Abdullah and has not come through with it. And I know a lot of that's probably situation-based, but maybe it's biased, but I think that Amir Abdullah to me um, has more intrigue, just more what we haven't seen yet. Like I want to see Amir Abdullah get like 300 touches in a season. I want to see that. And we've kind of seen that with Jerick McKinnon. I mean, I don't know what he ended up with this year, but he certainly played a ton and um, was not that impressive. We have that 2015 preseason from Amir Abdullah that we can always hearken back to and think about what could be. Now, last year, the number one wide receiver for the Tennessee Titans was actually Rashard Matthews, and he was a free agent. So we do have occasions where a newly signed free agent does have a career year, and that was Rashard Matthews last year. So Do you believe that there is an under-the-radar free agent wide receiver who could have a career year this year? Yeah, and we're looking for somebody young, right? Like, Rashard Matthews was relatively young. I mean, people are going to sign Kenny Stills. He's still relatively young to a big contract. Um, Guys further down the list that are relatively young that I think have some talent. And people are going to say, I'm— hashtag team preseason I I still believe in Aldrick Robinson I might be the only one that thinks Aldrick Robinson was not just a product of the Falcons system I think Aldrick Robinson can play when he was in Washington he was awesome like you could not guard this dude in the preseason I think there's something to be said for that so he's gonna be really cheap I wouldn't mind taking a shot on him love that one Love that. I love the deep picks. Yes, that's why we have Adam Leviton on the show, because he knows players like Aldrick Robinson. Yeah. People got to know him, right? Because he was on like the best offense in the league and Julio was out a little bit. So people did get to know Aldrick a little bit. I don't think they realized that he was in Washington. He's a total beast. I could see him ending up in San Francisco. Kyle Shanahan really seems to like him and we'll see what they do at quarterback. But that could be interesting there. And then one other name that that comes to mind is Marquise Wilson, who just can't stay healthy, but certainly profiles as an athletic talent, um, big, 
um, fast and had a big game with Matt Barkley down the stretch there for Chicago. Wasn't able to sustain it due to health. But those are two guys that are relatively young, at least, that come to mind for me. Aldrick Robinson to San Francisco. I love that fit. I love Aldrick Robinson's profile. 40% dominator ratings, 80th percentile, 122.1, 90th percentile Spark X score. So he's a college producer, also a great athlete. Um, what am I missing again? I don't think I'm missing anything. I think that he was betrayed by Robert Griffin III in Washington and then forgotten about, resurrected by Kyle Shanahan, and it's a perfect career path for him to end up on San Francisco and finally be a late breakout player. He's the guy I believe that you probably qualify for truther status on. Me, 28-year-old Brian Quick, is my guy with you. It's Aldrick Robinson because, like Brian Quick, Aldrick Robinson has an impressive college resume, an incredible athleticism, and they just need an opportunity with the right quarterback and they can produce. We saw it with Aldrick Robinson last year when he got an opportunity to start with Matt Ryan. What did he do? 15 fantasy points, four catches, 111 yards in week 15 against San Francisco. Now, you mentioned Kenny Stills a couple times. I'm hearing that he could command $12 million and that the Dolphins are so reluctant to let him go that they are considering actually trading Jarvis Landry in order to keep Kenny Stills. Is it possible that Kenny Stills is a more valuable asset in real football than Jarvis Landry? Hmm. This is a little bit out of my lane here, but I'm going to say that Jarvis Landry is significantly more valuable. I think people want to talk about his ADOT um, and how low it is for Jarvis Landry and how he really can't get down the field. He returns punts for your team. He moves the chains for your team. He gets open. And, and like Ryan Tannehill, I think, drops back and is like, well, I'm not confident anybody else can get open. Let me find the guy that I know is always open. And I think there's some value in that. I mean, Kenny Stills, I feel like you could find Kenny Stills in the third round of the draft. Maybe I'm crazy, but I don't see that much you are crazy. in Kenny Stills. So I, You're crazy. Convince me otherwise. You're crazy because the Kenny Stills skill set is incredibly valuable. It's why... Will Fuller was drafted in the first round. Most people did not believe Will Fuller mm -hmm. should be drafted in the first round. Putting a first round grade on Will Fuller sounded ridiculous. Then what happened? Drafted in the first round by a wayward franchise, the Houston Texans, I understand. But it happened. It happens every year. It's going to happen with John Ross. He's getting drafted in the first round. He is. Because the field stretcher with sub 4440 who has ball skills is a rare asset in the NFL. There are only a handful of them out there. That's why Kenny Stills is going to command a lot of money in free agency. It's why Deshaun Jackson has always commanded a lot of money. And it, it's reflected in both the stats of Ryan Tannehill and Jarvis Landry. That's where you can see the true value of Kenny Stills. Deep ball completion percentage for Ryan Tannehill, 39% last year. That was a career high. He finally found his deep ball. Was it a coincidence that it was the year that Kenny Stills was playing on the outside? I don't think so. Look at Jarvis Landry. His depth of target, his yards per target rose significantly last year. Why? Because there was more room underneath. Because Kenny Stills is commanding the attention of the defense. And if defensive backs are kept honest, it allows Jarvis Landry to operate underneath and post a yards per target of 8.7 as opposed to a yards per target of 6.9, which is what it was 
pre-Kenny Stills. There's a valuable points. I think if you're just signing guys for speed, like do you, do you think John Ross is worth a first round pick in real life? See, I think that's the fallacy that Kenny Stills is just a speed guy because sure. there's plenty of Rico Richardsons out there. Mm-hmm. Some would say there's plenty of Aldrick Robinsons. I would disagree. I think Aldrick Robinson does have ball skills that a Rico Richardson does not. He just hasn't had a chance to display them. But there are plenty of burners that can run a 4-3-8 and stretch the field. But will they command the attention of the defense and will they make plays on deep balls and score touchdowns? Well, that's what Kenny Stills can do. And that ability is rare. You'll see very low catch rates for these deep threats because the degree of difficulty on the long pass is much higher than on the short slant. But here we have Kenny Stills posting reasonable catch rates every year with a deep depth of target. What does that tell you? That tells you that whatever he's doing is special. It's not easy to do. And because he's not getting targeted, his target share has never been high. His fantasy points have never been high. He's never been someone that's been a top 20 fantasy receiver because the volume is just never there. But there are all these externalities that he's bringing to the table that are impacting all the other members of the offense in a positive way. I don't believe that Kenny Stills is a generic field stretcher X. I believe that he is a rare quantity that NFL teams covet. I like that. I have have no problem with that take. I still think, so you think Jarvis Landry was only successful with a field stretcher. You think you can find Jarvis Landry easier than you can find the Kenny Stills? Well, I believe that Jarvis Landry's skill set is more replaceable. And I believe that the throws to the deeper quadrants of the football field are the most efficient throws. The problem is many quarterbacks don't have a wide receiver capable of separating in those quadrants and then securing the football in those quadrants. So if you can find a receiver that enables the most efficient throws to be possible, that's what you're looking for. The analogy is found in the NBA where it can be a game changer for the Houston Rockets if they can acquire a Lou Williams from the Lakers that can make their whole offense much more efficient. No, yeah, I I think it's a fine take. It makes sense. I I think they've talked a lot about the Eagles getting Kenny Stills, and I think people here are hesitant. By the way, I'm not an Eagles fan. I know you mentioned that earlier. I grew up in Virginia as a Redskins fan. But anyways, people here think that Sound like an Eagles fan. They they don't want they don't uh, want to overpay Kenny Stills, and I think there'll be a lot of people when they see Kenny Stills' contract up in arms. But you certainly make some good points. Yeah, I think Kenny Stills is widely viewed as the guy that's going to steal money in free agency. It's going to be a yeah, heist, right? I don't see it that way. I see whoever gets Kenny Stills is going to get a very valuable asset, and the team that knows that the most, the Miami Dolphins. Now, I'll get you out of here on one final question. There's a player I love, but I've never been able to afford him. I've never been able to justify drafting him in fantasy. But I believe that this year we could have our opportunity. Maybe he doesn't play much in the preseason. Maybe can depress his ADP, and I may finally be in a position to draft him. Because we talked about this earlier, tight end is not a position you ever want to invest in heavily in any team, dynasty or redraft. And because I know that, I've never drafted Rob Gronkowski in the first two rounds. But I believe there's a possibility that Rob Gronkowski could slip into the third, fourth, and fifth rounds this year. At that point, is it time for us to push the button on Rob Gronkowski and redraft? So I think touchdowns are 
underrated. Somehow they're still underrated in fantasy football, right? Like we need touchdowns to win our fantasy games. So Rob Gronkowski still, I think even after all the injuries, still is the guy who you wake up in the morning among all pass catchers. He has the highest touchdown equity, right? Like he scored 68 touchdowns in 88 career games. Just outrageous. Um, I think we saw last year some of them coddling Gronk a little bit, playing him in two tight end sets with Martellus Bennett and letting Martellus get a little work. I, you know, we'll see what happens with Martellus. But yeah, I think you're right that you will get him. I think people are kind of gronked out. And I think you will be able to get him in the third or fourth round. And I think you will uh, see him get double digit touchdowns if he can sustain health. And anytime you get a guy with double digit touchdowns in the third or fourth round, I think it's going to make sense. So, yeah, he's still only 27. I mean, I want to see how he looks. Can he dance? Can he smash beers against his face? Yeah. You know, can he 69? All this stuff that we need to see. Gronk smash beer. From Rob Gronkowski. But assuming he's healthy, I think double-digit touchdowns is an almost lock. I, Gronk, score touchdowns. <laughs> Are you gronked out in fantasy football? Oh, you don't want to be gronked out this year. Gronk going to score lots of touchdowns. Uh oh. It's bizarre that you would start this quest with Mike Glennon and no Gandalf, and no Aragorn, and no Legolas! The damage they did to try to preserve their own roles and jobs will echo for many years after they're gone. McGlennon. I like that. I'm not running the three-cone drill. Get the hell out of here. Do you know I'm a 240-pound man? You think I'm going to run a great shuttle? You out of your mind? Hmm. I like that. You've been at least watching the news, right? Yes. I want the guys that have Roto World blurb experience. They're always great on the show. Honestly, like the best way to be involved in this thing. Like for me, like my whole game is so much better when I'm blurbing. So I actually am blurbing during NFL season for labs. We started this news feed now, like DFS centric news feed and like, I basically do all the blurbs for that, which I didn't have to do, but I wanted to do just to like keep up with it because it's really good for me. You know what I mean? The blurb analysis isn't so takey, but what it does is it provides the fertile ground for the take to grow. Mm, I like that. Really? You're going to finally answer my question? Yes. Yes. Have I answered all of your questions now? <laughs> Are you satiated? Are you gronked out in fantasy football? Oh, you don't want to be gronked out this year. Gronk gonna score lots of touchdowns. (laughs) He paired with Odell Beckham Jr. going to be a dynamic duo for years to come. Sterling Shepard's the guy you want to own in Dynasty. You chose to ride Sterling Shepard and you fucked up. (laughs) And you fucked up. And you fucked up. So now you have to eat it, Sterling Shepard Dynasty owners. I love just provoking the audience to make them mad. Make them feel something. Just make me feel something, Fantasy Mansion. I don't care if it's positive or negative. Just make me feel.
<laughs> yeah, you're good. You're good at it. I mean, you know, you're you're selling me on on, on this stuff. You're, you're you're very good at this. I saw he ran he ran like four four three or something. No way. Did he really? He ran a four four three. Not liking Mixon just on talent is just basically not having any kind of creativity or, or imagination just because... Just think about what happens if P. Ryan's not there. Just do a thought exercise. Yeah, why can't we do that? I'm not a personal trainer. You're very good at this. Tight ends have been such garbage for so long. Oh, it's so bad. So bad. These guys are here to save the day. Put a tag on his toe and send him off to the morgue. You're very good at this. By the way, can I curse on here? Is that allowed? I mean, there's so much bullshit in the NFL. Woo! Woohoo! He has had some other off-field issues, blah, blah, blah. You don't want to say off-field issue, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> You're very good at this. We have to do shows in March. So here we are, Adam. We need to produce content for the audience. <laughs> You're very good at this. Mike Glennon, even though he looks young, he looks like a baby giraffe. <laughs> what the hell are you doing signing a big free agent contract? What is the world coming to? You're very good at this. Well, you could argue that Sammy Coates' hands didn't work before they were broken. Exactly. I like that. You're very good at this.